Hello, everybody. Welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host. I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and join us today. As the name says, we are business creators. We're entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We're marketing and business coaches, consultants. We're the folks who help others build and create their businesses. And on the other side of the coin, we're the do-it-yourselfers who like to have our own hands on the levers we market and grow our business. If you are one or more of the above, and many of our listeners who tune in every week fall into all four of those categories, explore episodes. Discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, check us out on iTunes and the web. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us help more business creators just like you. And as soon as you subscribe via iTunes, over 170 episodes will become available for your immediate perusal. Okay, so today we have a topic that I have been itching to cover ever since we uncovered the individual you're about to meet. Uh, you know, we talk about leadership and we talk about uh, integrity and honesty and when we go into companies we have these things called mission statements and vision statements but what I'd like to do is I'd like to zero in on that today and cover a concept called values-based leadership and in doing so reveal the secrets of top-level performance in business and life using values now to share with us today on that we have none other than Dr. Betty Uribe. And let me just tell you a little bit about her real quick. She's the author of a book called Values, The Secret to Top-Level Performance in Business and Life. And she is uh, the Executive Vice President of California's Bank and Trust, Greater Southern California Division. Uh, she has P&L responsibility for commercial business and personal banking, which also includes its distribution network. California Bank and Trust is a $12 billion organization and the vision of Zion's Bank Corporation, which has over $60 billion in assets. You can tell that this can be a very impressive bio here. Under UAB's leadership, CB&T has been named the best bank in Orange County by the Orange County Register for three consecutive years. Now, during Dr. Uribe's 28-year banking career with CB&T, Comerica Bank, and Wells Fargo Bank, examples of her accomplishments have included affecting business turnarounds, rolling over a, over 100 new retail and business banking locations, achieving over a 20% increase in annualized pre-tax profits in a declining economy, generating double-digit revenue growth in less than 12 months, achieving double-digit expense management, and significant increases in efficiency ratios. Our turnaround work was featured as best in class by the Corporate Executive Board and presented to 30 banks around the world. Although Dr. Uribe's background is fairly corporate, as you can see, there's certainly a lot we can learn from her about building and growing our businesses. Throughout her career, Dr. Uribe has led the transformation of organizations, cultures, and teams through values-based leadership. She is widely regarded, sought out as an expert leader of turnarounds in financial services, including commercial and retail banking, merchant payment solutions, business turnarounds, marketing, public relations, risk management, and strategic planning. Her entrepreneurial background, having owned several small businesses in the U.S. and abroad, has given her a deep understanding of various industries and businesses. And all I can say is, whoa, welcome aboard, Dr. Uribe. Thank you so much, Adam. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. So I have just read off the uh, very, very, very impressive biography that is in the back leaf of your wonderful book here that I have right in front of me. And that tells a great story. But what we like to do in addition to that here on Business Creators Radio Show is ask you in your own words a little bit about your personal journey that brought you to the intersection of your brilliance and passion and how you serve business creators today. Now, you told me a great story just a few minutes ago, and I thought that would be perfect to share with our readers. So could you do that for us now? Absolutely. Uh, I started my career uh, as an entrepreneur many, many years ago, and I uh, it was an engineering and manufacturing company. I was 19 years old. Uh, for your right. listeners who know Kaiser Permanente, their gynecological light was my light. That was kind of my, my claim to fame. <laughs> 
And yeah. um, so being in the business world, I, I it was real easy for me to delve into the banking world. And so I deal mainly with business owners. It's a business bank um, here at California Bank and Trust. Uh, in my in my studies, I focused on values-based leadership in my dissertation uh, when I was doing my doctorate over at Pepperdine a few years ago. And I studied leaders, CEOs of companies, um, military leaders from uh, military generals from the White House and the yep. Pentagon and outside, and uh, in business CEOs. And I actually came up with uh, some leaders that and a lot of big nuggets for business owners and for entrepreneurs and for leaders all around uh, on, on how do you lead with values and how do you create sustainable, high-performing organizations. And, um, and, and there were some common threads that I found, and I thought, oh, my goodness. In fact, my dissertation uh, group said, you need to make this into a book because it needs to get out there. So that's what I did, unveil the book on January 17th, and uh, and now it's it, it's out and it's getting some pretty good ratings. Oh, well, good for good for you, absolutely. Uh, now, could you define for us, just as we get into this, uh, what you define values-based leadership to be, just so that we have a definition for our terms to go with our discussion? My definition of a values-based leader is an individual who leads by values, lives their life according to their values, makes, a de makes decisions according to those values, makes a difference in other people, and focuses on the good of the whole. Right. Okay, that's good. That's good. And uh, tell us a little bit more, uh, you know, you, you alluded to it, uh, you know, to what you attribute your personal values and character, just so that we know where you're coming from. And then we're going to get into some greater things that I think our listeners are going to love. Absolutely. My personal value system started um, when I first migrated to the United States. I was 12 years old. My father was an entrepreneur. He had a transportation company, uh, and he was very wealthy. He did very well. He was a millionaire back home, but he drank a lot and didn't treat my mother too well. So at the age of 45 oh. with four children, she sat us down and said, I'm going to leave the country. You can stay here and you will have everything, or you can leave the country, and we won't have anything, but we'll have peace. So that was my first values-based decision I made in my life. I was 12 years old and a little princess, and in, a, in an airplane ride, Adam, I be, we became yeah. four. Uh, I babysat and cleaned houses to help my mom, and, uh, and practically raised my little brother. He was six years old, uh, wow. while my mother worked in a factory, and I promised myself that someday I was going to retire her. Uh, I got to, uh, actually, my aunt, Ruby, who we lived with when we came here, she taught me etiquette. She said, someday you're going to dine with the President of the United States. Little did she know, 14 years later, I was dining with President Bush, the father. Um, oh, nice. I I did. It was it was it was an amazing experience, and there have been many amazing experiences in my life. I uh, so so the value system. I was able to retire my mother with my first paycheck after getting my undergrad degree. Um, I worked at a bank at Wells Fargo at the time, and with my bonus right. check, I called her at the factory and I said, "What are you doing?" She said, "I'm on a break." And I said, "Okay, go do your boss and tell him today's your last day. You're ne never going to work again in your life, and pack your bags because we're going on a trip." So wow. I spent my entire first bonus on my mother and um, and retired her. Values has been the fiber of everything I do, and I choose to align myself with people and individuals and organizations that are like-minded. And so that's what kind of the genesis of, of the foundation of values in my life. Wow, that's great. Now, you mentioned just a moment ago that you had a chance to sit down with George H.W. Bush, also known as 41. Uh, actually, one of my childhood heroes that I've written about in some of my, my writings. Uh, you've interviewed leaders from the Pentagon. You've interviewed CEOs of large organizations and many others. So with all these great 
achievers and leaders that you've had the chance to interview, what is one key story that stands out for you uh, or any trend do you see among all these leaders that they have in common? Um, I'll tell you one key story that is throughout my entire book, one leader that really stands out. And I have 19 incredible leaders in the book. Uh, right. But right now I'm thinking about General Mick Kicklighter. He okay. was a, uh, a general uh, in charge of the U.S. Army west of the United States to the east of China during the Saddam Hussein days. He was in charge of going back after Saddam Hussein was taken and reinstating peace and order into the country and bringing the first U.S. Embassy into the country. And he was right. given a lot of incredible tasks. And when I talked to him, he said, you come to D.C., I'm going to tell you things I've never told anyone. He had been asked by CNN, NBC, ABC for interviews. He never granted an interview. My interview was the very first one. And he told a lot of secrets, and many of them are in the book. One one specific story, Adam, that stands out to me from a values-based leader perspective that really teaches a lot of lessons was when I said to him, when you were out in war, what would you do on weekends? He said, I would go to a church and a synagogue and a mosque, and you would find me at the different places of worship. And I said, why would you do that? And he said, because that's where my troops needed me. They wanted me to be there in the trenches with them. Um, wow. I think that for someone of that caliber to be in the trenches like that, it teaches us one of the most valuable lessons that we read about in, in individuals such as Ram Sharon, who wrote a book that I highly recommend, uh, Leadership in the Era of Economic Uncertainty. I've had all my teams read that book. Um, and, and that is getting in the trenches with your people, especially when there is uncertainty going on. If you're having uh, a merger, if you're going to be buying another company, if, if there's unrest in the economy, it's time for us to roll up our sleeves and to get out into the trenches and be with our people. And this is what General Kicklighter did and what every single one of the leaders that I interviewed have done. And that's how you create trust. That's great. So uh, so the other part of my question is, if you could just tell us what common threads you found in your study from all these 19 leaders you had the opportunity to interview. It was really interesting. Uh, I talk about the values that are common and the strengths that are common, but I, but for your right. listeners, I think I'll, I'll talk a little bit deeper into just a couple of things. One of the things that General Kicklighter mentioned and that every leader mentioned, Raquel Bono, Admiral from the U.S. Navy, who today is in charge of all of the medical facilities for all of the armed forces around the world. Uh, President Obama signed an edict making her the leader right before he left office. And, and, and she talked about being a leader in humility are two things that should go hand in hand but don't necessarily go hand in hand. Most leaders, when they get a certain title or they get a certain amount of wealth, they begin to look at that business card and believe what I call the lie the lie of the business card. You are not your business card. You are who who you are, the human being, with a set of values, the core values that maybe your parents taught you or maybe you were grown up with. But that's who you are. It's not really the lie. The other common thread I found, so humility was huge, which was surprising, right? The other piece yeah. was the ability for them to follow and in the military, and I talk about military leadership and, and some of the lessons we learned from the military that civilians, we could actually use some of these nuggets. One of them is being able to take care of your people first and understanding that your people are not just the producers. They are mothers, fathers, husbands, wives who are who come to the organization whole. 
Sometimes we expect people to leave everything behind and only show up with the brain of the company. And we don't realize that they are whole and that their family is important. Uh, Raquel Bono, Admiral Raquel Bono, was really sick one morning, and I tell this story in the book. And uh, she was getting up to go out to see off uh, uh, one of her troops because they were going to be going overseas. And her husband said, what are you doing? You're sick. You're in bed. You can't get up. She said, no, they're expecting me. They need me there. I have to be there. She got herself there, and the gentleman who was an enlisted employee said to his family, I knew she would be here. I just knew she would be here. And he went and hugged her and, and um, of course, you know, introduced her to his family. And she was there for him and for his family while he was gone. And, and it's really important that we realize as leaders that uh, when we get to know our people and we get to know what's truly important to them, family is up there. So why wouldn't right. we ask about their family? Why wouldn't we get to know what's important to them and the reason why they do what they do and celebrate it and encourage it? When people know how much you care, then they will do whatever they can for you. Yeah, I find that to be very true. Uh, and you know, I've been an entrepreneur for 13 years myself, and I worked for a few companies before I made the leap into the entrepreneurial world. And I can, without belaboring this interview, I can tell a hundred different examples of my willingness or lack thereof to support the goals of an organization or, you know, or the science either, uh, based on the level to which I felt that they uh, valued me as a whole person. And I know that in my dealings, as the leader of my business, with the people who support my business, I do everything I can to understand my people as complete and whole human beings. Uh, I've had this actually tested a few times, uh, but I found that when I stick to that belief that everything turns out much better and you get better results, not only just for the productivity of the business, but just in terms of the loyalty and the dedication that people feel for you. So that's a great yeah. thing. Thank you. So I, I completely so agree, Adam, and, and I applaud you because uh, that that is a fundamental uh, foundation for creating sustainable, high-performing teams. Yeah, yeah. So what I'd like to do now is uh, shift a little bit into the topic of integrity, which goes along with values. Now, uh, integrity is something that you mentioned throughout the values book. Uh, what does that mean to you, and what role does it play in our personal and our business lives, since we're talking about the whole person. So just to say that again, integrity is something you mentioned through the book. What does it mean to you, and what role does it play in our personal and business lives? Uh, thank you for asking that question. Integrity, I always say integrity happens when no one is looking. Uh, what it means to me is the ability to be integrous with myself first, meaning if I say that these things are valuable to me, for example, for me personally and every employee that I have in my employer, they all know this, I don't make it uh, something that other people have to believe in or have the same values, but for me it's right. God, family, job, education, health, and community. That is my values, right? So family is right up there, and family is above my employer, now, how do I do this and create high-performing teams and create sustainable and break records and production and, and in bottom line pre-tax profit and all of that? Um, integrity is the fundamental foundation on top of which we build trust with people. For example, right. if I tell my employees, you are the most important asset this company has, and when they need me, I'm not there for them. Or I disregard what they say. Their voice doesn't count. Or if they bring up something that is negative, I don't listen or I shoot it down instead of 
creating an environment where they feel valued, that their voice is heard, then I'm not creating trust. I'm doing the complete opposite of trust, right, of creating trust. So integrity is something that I see where we as leaders must carry with us, first with ourselves and then with others. So it's almost like a ripple effect, like a pebble in the pond. If I live Uh my life in integrity, then I'm going to create a context for those around me. And I don't even need to say, you need to dial up to your calls on time. You need to show up to a client's business on time. It's going to happen by the mere fact that the leader shows up in a certain way. It'll help create the culture because the culture creation happens by our actions, not necessarily by our words. How does that play in my personal life and in my business life? I'm the mother of three. And my daughters and my son, they know that they're very important to me. So when they call, even if I'm in a meeting, I will pick up the phone. Now, I've set myself up to when. I've told them, don't call unless it's an emergency. And an emergency is you've had a car wreck or you're going to the hospital or something dire that can't wait. You need me now or you need a decision made right now. Otherwise, send me a text, and I will answer the text within less than an hour. If they need a a response immediately, text me 911, and I'll respond immediately. And so by setting yourself up to when you're able to be be in integrity, and it isn't um, a way of putting people away. It's quite frankly, it's quite the opposite. It's a way of bringing people closer. In business, it's the same way. Integrity in business is crucial. If I if I say something, but I move the truth a little bit, and how many of us just maybe move the truth? Or maybe right now we're doing yearly reviews for people or first quarter reviews for people. If I tell someone they're doing a good job because I'm afraid that they're not going to like me and they're not doing a good job, am I really doing them uh, uh, justice? Or am I sustaining their behavior if they're not doing a good job? So being open, honest, being authentic, being okay with who you are, being comfortable in your own skin, and being able to be in integrity with your people around you, those are the things that that Stephen Covey, who also endorsed my book, Stephen Covey talks about building trust in his book, The Speed of Trust highly recommend that book. It's one of my favorite books in my library. And how do you build trust? Well, it starts, it all begins, the genesis of every relationship, every trusted relationship is integrity. Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm reminded of something that I witnessed a long time ago. Uh, There was a, a company and they, there was some sort of issue uh, in, in the culture. There was some sort of tension over what I can't remember exactly what it was. So uh, senior management uh, looking to show that they care and show that they engage uh, called uh, a mass meeting of the entire company. And then you have the CEO stand up. And I'm going to do my best with you right now, Betty, to replicate his voice. And he said, this is for you. And I'm telling you that if we don't leave this room with an understanding, I will be very disappointed. Wow. And what immediately occurred to me is, holy hell, did he just threaten us to keep shut, keep our mouths shut? Wow. And, uh, and you look around the room, you just saw all these glances that people were giving each other. It's like, well, so much for that dialogue. Um, I saw another company that made a big show of, let's create – Uh, an employee retention committee where we get employees of the organization to come together and find out great ideas about how to make the environment better so people want to stay. And uh, that effort went basically nowhere fast because what quickly happened is that uh, a lot of people were told that they weren't wanted on this committee that was supposed to be about inclusion and making people want to stay with the company. Uh, After a very short while, they actually renamed 
the committees to call it the Employee Action Committee because they recognized that uh, uh, it failed its initial purpose. Then you just kind of never heard from it again. So uh, I think that's the case yeah. where somebody, somebody read a book on an airplane and got excited, like, oh, let's have two of those for my company. Uh, but unfortunately, they didn't deal with the culture and they didn't deal with the values to support such a thing. Uh, so you're trying to, uh, in, in, in those cases, I believe what you were attempting to do was create an employee-focused, uh, you know, vestiges or elements of an employee-focused culture and what was very much an authoritarian organization. So you weren't dealing with the underlying issue that it was such a top-down structure that it would not support these types of initiatives or these types of dialogues over issues in, in the workplace. And and I think that goes to values, and that goes to values-based leadership and everything that you have mentioned thus far. So, since we're Adam, talking about, uh, those, yeah. the, those are fantastic examples. And if we were to just take those two examples you just gave yeah. and, 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 and go a little bit deeper into those are fantastic, by the way. You know, senior management, I firmly believe that people don't get up every morning and say, I'm going to screw up my entire company and I'm going to make my employees confused and, and angry, right? We don't get up that way. We all mean to do the right thing. And, and maybe both individuals, and you said it, you know, they meant to do right. And how many times do we mean to do right? And maybe we say something that's going to, get somebody upset and and it's okay to do all of these it's how we recover when and and when we recover that creates the trust in the first example when the senior management called a mass meeting and when the when the boss comes in and says this is for you if we don't leave this room with understanding i'll be very disappointed you know, people could have taken it in a different way, right? Maybe he right. would be disappointed. Maybe he meant right. Maybe he really wanted people to speak up, but he didn't create the environment where somebody, where it would be okay for someone to raise their hand and say, excuse me, Mr. Smith, what do right. you mean by that? Is it okay for us to speak freely? But if we don't create the environment where people people's voices are heard and where it's okay to make a mistake and it's okay to disagree, then we're going to get exactly what he got, right? Everybody just said they shot down and they made assumptions. And that's another thing. How many times do we make assumptions without asking for clarification? And the assumptions we make are based on our own background. The second, and then the second example you gave, which is a fantastic example, is the Employee Retention Committee. Here's somebody that really means to do well, and they create this, but their actions are not aligned with what they say is important to them. And this is the exact, this is a perfect example for what I was talking about, integrity. If you value something, but your actions are contrary to what you're saying, then it's your actions that are going to speak louder for you than your words. Right. Yeah, that's very that's very true. And uh, you know, since you were talking about this, you caused me to go back and think about that gentleman who was the CEO of the company. And uh, as far as being somebody who could build a business, he was absolutely brilliant. I mean, he uh, he had he had created and led a number of different companies. I mean, his credentials uh, as far as uh, you know developing organizations and startups and and going from nothing to a very you know, strong mid-sized company probably parallel yours. But I could think of many instances where the words that came out of his mouth just kind of contradicted his whole point. I can think of another example right now where um, there was one department in the organization um, and they decided to uh, have a, a special luncheon for the people in that department. And he came in and, you know, said a few words like, yay, the CEO's here. Awesome. And then, uh, you know, he says a few things that sound really good. And then he says, well, you know, sometimes we know we see you in the hallway and you say hi to us and we just keep walking. Uh, the fact is, is that uh, we're just really too busy to have conversations. And uh, we want you to know that uh, we appreciate you, but we just don't feel we have to say it. And I'm thinking, you know, you could have stopped before wow. you said that. 
because nobody wow. was even asking that question. So it's just it's just a case, and I think we see this in a lot of folks. And I myself have made this mistake a number of times, so I'm not putting the guy down or criticizing him. I'm just saying that sometimes we don't know what we don't know, and sometimes we have blind spots. You have blind spots. I have blind spots. Everybody has blind spots. But you can think of many cases, and if you don't know of any off the top of your head, just watch the news today, any day, and you'll see examples of this. Uh, people, especially like our leaders, our politicians and things like that, who say about 33% more than they should have. And had they stopped halfway through, they would have made a great point. Uh, <laughs> I have many examples of that one, too. And you're absolutely yeah. right, Adam. I think less is more is something I learned in my dissertation studies. When you When you write too much or say too much, you know, just get to the point and and only say what what is within the realm of what you're talking about. You start talking too much, and it it just it becomes discombobulated to people. So um, that's that's one one thing that I noticed that I think everybody would gain insight from. If you have something to say to your people, a lot of times, uh, especially when it's difficult feedback. Uh, right. It's important that we leave the topic alone, meaning only talk about that one topic in that meeting with people. So if right. I have something really critical to say, I'm going to schedule a 15-minute or a 20-minute meeting and only talk about that topic. What happens is they say, well, and while I have you here, let's talk about the production or let's talk about the clients or let's now you're watering down what you're trying to say, and that goes for personal and business. It goes with your spouse, with your children, with your boss, with your employees, with your community. You name it. Right. I think I think uh, I think you speak a lot of the truth when it comes to that. So, uh, you know, when you know, since we're talking about you know leaders and things like that, uh, you know. Uh, I think we're kind of touching on this already. Uh, tell us just a little bit more, if you can, about the roles integrity and congruency play in leaders. Because I think we're hitting on the idea of congruency right now. We are. We absolutely are. So the definition of congruency is very similar to alignment, right? Right. Uh, when you have a car that is misaligned and, you know, I, I, I rebuilt an engine when I was 19 years old, so I know a little oh. bit about cars. But so, so when you have a car that's misaligned, what happens? You notice that one of the tires wears out at one of the sides. And then so you know yes. that there's something going on. And that's not the problem, right? The problem is the misalignment. Right. And the result or the symptom is the tire is going to explode if you leave it like that because it's going to continue to wear out. You have a car or even a bicycle with a, with one tire, and there's misalignment. When there's misalignment, then the whole system gets broken, or it's capable right. of getting broken. If the misalignment is left for a long, long time, it continues to get worse and worse and worse progressively, very much like in leadership. When you, as a leader, are not completely aligned or congruent in the way you speak and your actions. If I say I am I am an integrous leader or I am a caring leader, and then you're the the first example in your in your uh, in your examples, the senior manager who's who said, you know, listen now, this is for you. If we don't, you know, in a in a tyrant, then you're being two people. You're saying one thing out of one mouth, and then you're acting a different way. Then you're going to be seen by your people as incongruent, then they're going to lack trust. Uh, you're going to lack trust in your, your, your people are going to lack trust in you. And what's going to happen is there's going to be a lot of energy in the organization where people are going to say, what do you think he meant by that? Then all of a sudden people make up stories. And you're leaving yourself wide open for them to make up whatever story they want to about you. So right. the congruency part goes right back to the integrity, right? Yes. Integrity happens when nobody's looking. What are you doing 
And is, is what you're doing congruent with what you say is important to you and your company? You're right. Yeah, I think I think that's something to um, to bear in mind. That's kind of where we were leading to. Is on the one hand, giving using my example, they're talking about inclusion and openness. But either by design or you know, in my heart, I believe more likely just because of blind spots that they weren't seeing, um, the actual words and the vibe that was coming out was kind of the exact opposite. It's like let's all nod our heads and say that we agree that we're an inclusive company, but let's keep our mouths shut. I, that doesn't quite work. Um, no. So no, it doesn't. The, yeah. Uh, I've had, book. I've had. Oh, go, go ahead, ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. I <laughs> okay, Adam. <laughs> I, I, it, just, it brings me back to uh, a situation I had in my career, and this was a long time ago, when uh, the president of the company would come, or a senior level of the company would come, and they would say, "I'm going to do two downs," and. You know, the two downs are you, you, you talk to people two levels down from you, and yeah. then the, the middle management would prep everybody and would say, okay, make sure you bring this up and make sure you don't talk about this and be careful that you don't say this and all of this. Now, the, the, the senior leader meant well. They wanted to hear from people, but when right. you prep so much, what I call it window covering. Yeah. The window cover. And so people prepare for the worst and, and they expect the worst and then now brand new employees are coming in saying, oh, I guess I can't speak my mind in this company. And and that's how the culture perpetuates itself. Yeah, I, I, definitely, I definitely see what you mean by that. And, uh, and I have seen way too many cases of that, and I think we've all seen some of it, where uh, we have this concern about, you know, what do we say and how do we, you know, what topics do we absolutely avoid and how do we phrase things just, just so. And, you know, I just don't think that really works. I mean, I believe that, uh, you know, there are certain things you have to bear in mind when you have a structure where you have hierarchy, which is that uh, there may be certain, how do I put this just to be direct about it? Certain people in positions of authority and power just may have certain bugs, and there's not much you can do about that. Like, like for instance, um, with, with me, my people know to never use the phrase, get traffic to your website, because I'll, I'll freak. I, I hate that term, traffic to your website. And if you're posting anything voicing me in my name, do not use that phrase. Uh, it's just one of those things you, you learn. Or, like, especially if you're an entrepreneur, and you're trusting other people to manage your social media to make sure that you, if when you're doing the part where you're sharing the quotes from certain famous dead people, to make sure that you never mention this one person. Uh, they won't tell you why, but you just go along with it. I see that. We all have our little things, and it works in the opposite direction, where you learn as you get to know people. There are certain things that are just kind of off limits with them. But when that permeates the entire organization, and it leads to a breakdown in communication. That's different than just respecting that everybody has their own little bugs about them. That's really suppressing free speech, if you ask me. It is. And then what happens is back to people making up their own stories. So if they're not able to communicate up uh, or communicate what they're truly feeling, uh, then you're never going to know what's really happening in the organization. And this is this takes us right back to the very beginning when we started talking about, um, uh, you know, what some of the leaders uh, that I interviewed do, there was one general in San Diego. Um, she was uh -huh. the first female general in that in that area, and you know something she did. I actually learned from. She went out and spoke to every single individual in her. Uh, organization, and then she went out into the community and and, and let people know uh, what was happening. Now, there's something I call, and I, I coined this the other day, innocent curiosity. When you speak right. to people with innocent curiosity, you remember when you were a child and you were just curious. You weren't judging. You were just curious. And the question is, Mommy, why does this work like this? And it was yeah. very innocent in the way, right? 
So when we go into an organization with that innocent curiosity, people get it. We're more transparent than we realize we are. And people, yesterday I had a conversation with one of my employees. And I said, you know, I've noticed that there have been some mistakes that you've been making. I, are you okay? I, I'm, I'm just curious. I'm, I'm concerned because this isn't like you. Now, I could have said, we have a problem. You've made three big mistakes. And why did this happen? And I don't want this to happen again. You choose. But when you come with innocent curiosity and ask people with that innocence, without judgment, just a question, it's amazing how they open up to you and how they tell you exactly yeah. what's happening in the company. I was in many, many mergers I've been with, uh, mergers and acquisitions. I even lectured on mergers and acquisitions. And one of the things that is a common thread amongst mergers and acquisitions is the un unsettling that happens when a merger is announced. Is my job going to be okay? How am I going to take care of my family? Who's going right. to get the next position? I mean, there's a lot that happens. If we don't, as the leaders, do what Ram Sharam says in his book and get out in the trenches and begin to talk to our people, they are the ones that have the answers. They're the ones that know what's really happening at the street corner level. And if we shut them up and we don't create that environment where they can actually speak something that is contrarian, we're never going to know the answer. And it's going to take us a lot of loss of a lot of people and money and resources before we find out what we could have found out if we had a good relationship with the people at the, in the trenches in the first place. Yeah, I think that's I think and I think that's true whether you're the head of a company and you have employees or you're an entrepreneur and you have team members and people who uh depend on your leadership. Uh it's just you know, when you made the uh the distinction between the two different ways to communicate with somebody who's messing up. Uh here's another story I have and this is something I've spoken about in other episodes of the Business Creators Radio Show. And uh I'm going to reveal something about myself and uh I actually thought it was funny at the time, and I'm going to preface this by saying if I had it to do it all over again, I'd do it the exact same way. So don't think I'm about to apologize for anything here. Uh, my cubicle was positioned next to a department, a separate department, where their employees in that department uh, were regulated to the point where they were timed on how much time they spent in the restroom. Uh, where they could get written up for using headphones if they wanted to listen to some music while they concentrate on their work. Uh, all wow. kinds of just absolute tyrannical crap. And uh, so I'm sitting in my cubicle on one Friday afternoon, and uh, uh, Betty, have you ever, like, taken a, a drink of water and it goes down the wrong pipe and you end up coughing? Oh, yes, it's horrible. Right, so that's right. So that so that happened to me there, which can happen to anyone at any time. That even happened on of an course. episode of the Business Creator. That even happened on an episode of the Business Creators Radio Show once. I I always took a, a, a glass of tea next to me to to stay hydrated, and it went down the wrong pipe once, and I had a little bit of a coughing fit right on the air. But uh, so this happens to me, and so the supervisors of the department come stomping over and says, "Will you keep it down? You're you're very disturbing," in a way that was just you know arrogant and rude. So when she turned and walked away, I made what's known as the stoccaccio gesture at her behind her back. That's the one where you bend your right arm at a 90 degree angle and put your fist in your elbow, uh, but you don't stick up the middle finger. You know what I'm talking about? Oh my gosh, I know. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, so this, uh, so also, uh, let me. I'm going I'm to tell this as briefly as I can here. So obviously, some snitch reports me for it, and uh, and uh, Monday morning I I get told about how I gave somebody the middle finger, and I said I didn't give anybody the middle finger, and so they called me a liar. I would t I would pass a polygraph because I didn't give her the middle finger. I gave her the staccato gesture. Why don't you try ratting me out properly? But here's here's the issue. If that person had come over to me and gently said. Are you okay? I was said, oh, 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 wrong pipe. He said, okay, well, it's it's just a little noisy here. So uh, if you could, uh, you know, find a way or maybe take a break or something, I would have appreciated that. 
That is exactly, oh my gosh, what an example. And I and I have told this, and I told this to other people, people who are in, uh, you know, in workplace communication and in uh, workplace development. I tell this story, and uh, the feedback I just shared with you is very similar to what I've gotten from others. Is it's about how that person communicated with me. Yeah, I I was basically choking, and uh, and uh, it might have been interrupting people from doing their work, but there was a different way to handle that. So if I'm there gasping for air and you want to lecture me about how disturbing I am to other people, uh, I, you know what? Looking back, maybe I should have just given her the finger because I got credit for it anyway. <laughs> I hope she's listening. Oh, my God. Well, <laughs> if you think about it, uh, what was most important to that person? That person's actions showed you what was most important to them. You were clearly yeah. not that important to her. And that's the message right. you got. And it's such a strong message that years later, you're using it as an example in national radio. Exactly. So think about think about that as a leader, right? And your audience and the opportunity we have. You know, I always say we sneeze, they feel a hurricane. Yes. And we have to be really Boy, that careful. That's a good analogy. You like that one? Yeah, especially especially for this. Uh, they. I sneeze, they feel a hurricane. I have a minor coughing fit because I drank water and it went down the wrong tube, and uh, and they and they and they feel uh, uh, an earthquake, basically. Yeah. Instead of caring about you and saying, "Are you okay?" Now, if this individual would have said, "Are you okay?" and there are other people in other cubicles that are watching and listening, then they would have said to themselves, "Wow, that was really nice." She, she or he really cared about them. But instead, what are the people saying at that moment? So now what kind of culture are you creating? Because our actions or leaders either add to the culture or deplete from the culture, right? We say we want to create a culture of trust. We say we want to create a culture of where people feel cared for, and these are the kinds of actions we do because we're so focused on something that is right in front of us. They don't want you to make noise. This is just, oh, it's disturbing or whatever, without taking a deeper look and a more strategic look at what am I creating. This is a perfect opportunity for someone to show themselves as a caring individual to you and right. to other people that are walking by or sitting in a, in a, in a cubicle that's next to us. Yeah. So huge, huge. Thank you for sharing that, and and right. I appreciate you being vulnerable because most people wouldn't be that vulnerable, and 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 it's a huge lesson for all of us. Here's here's how here's how I looked at it even at the time, and I didn't know nothing from nothing compared to what I know now. I was just uh, that was my first real job, and it was my first year in that first real job. I hadn't owned a business. I'd never been promoted. I'd never been in a supervisory position. So this is me. This is a different version of me. I mean, a version of me that would not recognize the me I am today if they knew me back then. Uh, and even then, I recognized that my actual audience for this were all those other people that were suffering under the tyranny of that other department. Yeah, because Because when I, when, I looked, when I looked across the aisle, I saw my, I saw my future peers and future business deals. Maybe if I ever started a business, they might be my clients or my customers. Uh, if I decide to go the corporate route, they might be the people who were scaling a ladder that was running parallel to mine. Uh, I was doing it for their benefit and uh yeah. and if uh, and also to send a, a message upward that uh there's some really intolerable stuff going on in this organization and I'm going to bring it to a head whatever uh the only thing I really yeah. felt bad about I'll say the only thing I felt bad about that whole thing was that my own supervisor was negatively impacted by that I felt bad because of uh because he had to take some heat for it uh, and to this day, I feel bad about that. But otherwise, no. And, it's, and as far as that woman I gave the Stokacho gesture to, you heard me say earlier, I hope she's listening to this. Um, I faked an apology. Yeah. And, but I, I, didn't really feel, I, didn't, I didn't really feel sorry at all. because, And, I, and, and the reason I'm sharing this, again, I know this you know, is a moment of vulnerability, and people may look at this through different lenses, but... 
this is the reality of the feelings that you can create depending on how you exude your values-based leadership. This is the real thing. This is not the version that we write on the smile sheets knowing that our handwriting could be identified or that we carefully word in the quarterly meeting in such a way so that we don't offend anybody and risk our promotion or anything like that. This is, this is the real stuff that people talk about, not even at the water cooler, but when they're away from work, that impacts how they yeah. actually feel about the company. Oh, it's huge. And, and then it, it brings you back to who are you surrounding yourself with and where are you choosing, right? And, and both from yeah. an employee yeah. and an employer perspective. You know, I'm often asked, why am I working at California Bank and Trust? And, you know, and, 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 and it's going to sound like a pitch, but I'm just going to use it as an example. Please. Um, when I when I was doing a dissertation, I was in the middle of a dissertation. I got called by three different banks, and they wanted me to come and do a turnaround. One of them was a merger. They were merging two banks. Another one was a huge division of another bank, and, and then this one. And all three of them needed needed really big help. And so I went and kicked the tires again. I went to the branches and I checked out on LinkedIn some of the employees and, and I wanted to know what the culture was. And the reason I came to California Bank and Trust was because of their value system that was very much aligned with my personal value system. When I met with the CEO, David Blackford, you know, he talked about employees and, and he actually showed to me during the interviews how much he cared about me and how much he cared about his employees and, and and it was evident in talking to the people how proud they were of the organization. They weren't performing, but they were proud to be part of the organization. They liked each other. They, they You could just feel the warmth. And so it was something that I wanted to be a part of. Now, when we buy a car, we take the car out. Well, I do. I look under the hood. I want to know what kind of engine it is. Is it strong enough? I, I check it out. I take it out for a spin. And I, you know, I look at the torque. I look at, you know, how fast it starts, how fast it breaks. My dad was a race car driver. So, I, you know, I, I check it all out. I'm really good into cars. And, but, but when we go into a company, we no, don't necessarily do that. When we hire an employee, we don't necessarily do that. When we get into a relationship, we don't necessarily do that. When we get into partnerships, we don't necessarily do that. So be really careful who you hang around with and make sure that the value system is aligned with yours. I was just interviewed by someone yesterday, and he said, oh, my gosh, Betty, in the first three minutes, I just felt like we've known each other forever. And I said, that's because our values are similar. When your values, when you align yourself with people that have similar values, you can go very deep, very quick. You can have a lot of fun. You'll be working hard. But you'll make things happen a lot quicker because you don't have to explain anything. It's all already known. It's inherent in the, in the fiber of that person's DNA. So you don't have to work that hard. So when I hire employees, I do the same. I ask them what's most important to you. And if the things that are most important to them don't align with my corporate culture, then it's okay not to belong. It's okay for them not to join our company. It's not for everybody. Right? right? Yeah. So yeah. they can be a great salesperson, but if they don't care about teamwork, collaboration, and communication, if they don't really care about building trust and value in relationships for generations, they don't belong here. And it's so it doesn't make them wrong. They just don't belong here. So why have them here? Right. Absolutely. Um, two quick observations. And then I just want to point out, you know, time is flying here. We're having so much fun. We're down to six <laughs> minutes here. So let me just say two things. Number one, um, every no creates a yes, which means if I'm saying no to something, uh, what I'm doing is I'm opening up the opportunity for somebody else to say yes. So when I'm saying no to something, I'm doing somebody else a favor. I'm creating an opportunity for somebody else because there is everybody for somebody, and there's a match for everything out there. And if it's not me, then it's somebody else. So I don't feel bad about saying no because I'm creating somebody else's yes. I am literally creating a business opportunity for somebody else by saying no. That's how I look at it. And second of all, if it's not hell yes, it's hell no. I have had many prospects 
come to my company, the Business Creators Institute, uh, wanting to uh, you know be one of our uh, platinum consulting clients, uh, which I'm extremely picky about what I take on, by the way. And on paper, they all the boxes check off. You know, this is the quote unquote ideal client according to the avatar. But you know. And I even had a great conversation with them. I think they're great people. I like them personally. I consider them friends. The type of things that they're wanting to do sound like exactly the type of stuff that we can work with. But something about it is just telling me it's a bad idea. So intuition wins, and I say no. Wow. I love those two, and I wrote them down for myself. I love yeah. it. If it's not a heck yes, it's a heck no. And you're absolutely right. It has to be an absolute yes. If it isn't a yes right. and you hear your little voice saying, hmm, I think it's a yes and let me make it fit, you're, you're, in, you're, you're in trouble. You're going to hire the wrong person you're going to be in and you're going to have to uh, manage them out later. Or you're going to get into the wrong employer. You're going to get into the wrong partnership. Yep. It has to be an absolute yes. For it to be a yes, I love that. And every yes creates, uh, every no creates a yes for somebody every else. No Absolutely, yes. you're That's doing right. them a favor. I Absolutely. love it. So, yeah, yeah. Every no creates a yes. If it's not hell yes, it's hell no. Um, not the per- first person to say either one of those things, but I think those sayings are common enough that it's hard to figure out who originally said it. Uh, so if somebody <laughs> wants to sh- is listening to this out there wants to show up and uh, prove that they have. Uh, uh, a following with the Library of Congress saying that they're the original creator and they have an audio file to prove it, I will come back and I will give them lavish credit for doing so. But nobody has done so for the past 10 years, so whatever. Uh, <laughs> all right. So we have uh, we have four minutes left here. This is really ticking by. So what I'd like to do now is just turn the floor over to you for a minute, Betty, and uh, just tell us a little bit about um, how you serve business creators and uh, how they can engage with you, and even how they can get a, a, a co- their very own copy of this fine book on values. Thank you. Uh, some of the things that I do is um, I, I do a lot of talking uh, about the book and about how individuals and leaders can actually go forward uh, with our company. We're able to um, really service clients and we're very uh, creative in the way in which we do banking. We're really non-traditional bankers. Uh, And so uh, we do, uh, for our business owners, for example, we'll do executive thought leaders forums and where we bring in uh, either uh, business owners or executives in a company and we talk about what is keeping you up at night. And, you know, the latest topic is Millennials. How do you manage millennials? How do you engage them? How do you create um, uh, engagement in millennials? And so I brought in an author uh, and a professor from a university to talk to my clients about how do you do this. And it's been wildly successful. So I love doing those kinds of things in the community. Um, And so if you don't have uh, a bank such as this in your community, I would suggest that you just start one. You know, go to your right. peer group and start one. Um, how they can engage with me personally, my website is www.drbettyuribe.com, drbettyuribe.com. I am on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram as Dr. Betty Uribe. And my book can be found on Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble, or they can just go into my website. Uh, the book is being utilized to raise uh, funds for 100 scholarships in each continent. Uh, we've already raised enough for 54 scholarships in Southern California, and I'm doing some scholarships in Kenya. I don't touch the money. It goes directly to a couple of nonprofits that I trust that 100% of the donations go directly to the kids. And those nice. two are in my website. So if somebody wanted to make a donation, that would be fantastic. Absolutely. And can we also get your book at drbettyuribe.com? Absolutely, yes. Great. Absolutely. So we are actually at the top of the hour. So uh, let me just say to Dr. Betty 
Uri Bay, uh, author of Values, The Secret to Top-Level Performance in Business and Life. Thank you so much for joining us today for this outstanding conversation. It's been an honor and it's been an education for me and for our listeners. Thank you very much, Adam. I think um, hashtag values should be going all over the world. And thank you so much for having me on your show. You bet. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please tune in for our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.